This is where trad wives can get really dangerous because, you know, we support one form of trad wife that we'll talk about in a second. But trad wives who are more interested in the aesthetics of the trad wife and embodying the aesthetics of the trad wife, they are incredibly dangerous because they do not actually care about the best interests of their partner or their kids. They believe there is an aesthetic way to be a good wife. And so mm -hmm. long as they are embodying this narrative aesthetic ideal, they are a good wife, regardless of what the evidence says. And when I say evidence, regardless if their husband's unhappy, regardless if their kids are sad, regardless if their husband is spending his meager salary to uphold this fantasy that they've created for themselves, they do not care. Would you like to know more? So we recently did an episode where we were talking about archetypes of men outside of just the simple beta alpha male, because I think that many men optimize around different frameworks. And what I really don't like about the beta alpha sigma thing is it implies that all men who are followers are somehow like the lesser category. Whereas I don't think that that's true. There are different ways you can be a follower. As we point out, you can be like a knight, you know, you don't need to following orders, being a dentologist is sometimes a useful way to view the world when you are fighting for a just cause, but you are not the person leading the troops. And you have the humility and personal strengths to recognize that you are not uh, fit or, or just didn't happen to be in the right situation to be the person leading. But that doesn't mean that you're not meant to play a role or that you are lesser. And so we go over that and then someone was like, well, what about women? How do women fit? Like, and, and I don't even know if I've heard like an alpha, beta, whatever thing was women. So, so how yeah, it's more like, are, are they like, what number are they out of 10? Are they a mid? Are they a tri-wife? Yeah. Are they if we're going to build like a framework for women that follows this, this male framework that we built, let's go into this. But I also think it's interesting to us because we realized as we were building the framework for women, well, a lot of this also kind of applies to some types of men too. And so totally. it can help people recognize when they're falling into dangerous character tropes and types. Mm -hmm. So do you want to start us off, Simone? Yeah, I mean, so I think this is going to come to mind for most people. So if you're watching this and you're thinking about types of women, maybe one of the first types you're going to think of <coughs> is girl boss. Um, and I think this is because like when women stand out, it's often because they are the the bossy one who has to be the smartest in the room, in charge of everything. I'm going to tell you how it is. Even if there's someone more competent than them in the room, like, no, 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 they cannot have that. Like often I think they're oldest, they're eldest siblings. So they're just used to taking command. They're just like, no, they kind of have that, like, I know better, but also they, they often are in positions of like leadership or power or whatever. Very different from male king archetypes. Yes, they are. Which, which yeah. I think is, is very interesting. They often come across as much more, insecure and their goal isn't often to be a good leader but to run things because they believe that everyone else is incompetent mm -hmm. or not able to run things as well as they are well um, i really wonder what's going on here a, a common complaint on this you know like where this happens with both like female stars and with female executives of like, oh, well, when I do it, you you call me a bitch. But when a guy does it, he's just doing his job, right? Like, oh, so if I'm grumpy. In the same way or with the same energy often. Well, but it's hard. Like, is it because the pitch of the, the female voice is higher? So, I mean, I wonder that, but I mean, I also, I feel intuitively the same way, you know, like I, I make the same judgments and I just wonder how much of it is societal or maybe, maybe it's just that like women are doing this from a place of insecurity because they're just not as comfortable 
fighting in that sphere. I, I just don't know. Like, I mean, when I look back at some female leaders, however, like historical accounts of Queen Elizabeth, Cleopatra, mm -hmm. Catherine the Great, I don't get a girl boss feeling from them, to be honest. Um, it's There's a different but, archetype and we'll go and talk about that. They were not that archetype. Yeah, they the weren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they, were, they were also acting from places of a lot of security. And honestly, masculinity. Girl boss, the, we, we chose the term girl boss for this because there is a distinct girlish and feminine element to it. Right. It's and not I, I a would, masculine bossiness. I would point out here that you can have men who fall more into the girl boss category than the king category. 100%. You can have, although it's much rarer for women to fall more into the king category than the girl boss category. The core difference here between these two categories is, I, I would say it's that they are working to, like the girl boss is much more in the category of type A personalities. Mm. They are working for perfection and, and perfection of action of the organization and of what they are running and not working for a, 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 the community and not working to, to lead or to earn respect. Earning It's respect, about having things their way. It's less about having things the right way. It's their way is the right way. Right. Well, and this is one of the things with, with, with Kings that is very different is, is Kings are often primarily motivated uh, by two things. What I'd say is earning respect, but the other is an inability to take orders from other people at a level of personal pride. It's mm -hmm. not that they have trouble taking orders from other people because those orders are bad, which mm -hmm. is typically what the girl boss, the girl boss problem is, is that they look down on other people so much that they just can't trust the orders of anyone else. Right. Uh, whereas it's a fear of being putting oneself in a subordinate position, which is one of the core weaknesses of this King archetype. Mm -hmm. um, one of the core weaknesses of the girl boss archetype is it's just not a particularly good archetype for actual leadership. Like it works really well at high levels within bureaucracies, but it is fairly bad at actually running things of agency. So it's a skill that is really meant to rise to high positions within bureaucracies, but often not achieve real world efficacy, hmm. yeah. which different female archetypes are good at, which yeah. she pointed out was which like, we'll get to. like that, that we'll get to in a second. Did you have any other thoughts on this one? No, no. And I, I think there, that most people already have a lot of thoughts on this because it's also like such a thing in social media, but it, it's already something that's been, it's a dead yeah, horse. I, I guess the beaten. core final thought I'd have on this that I want to really pull out is this idea of when a woman is a leader versus when a man is a leader. And as the girl boss, are you embodying, you know, the stoicism that the king archetype is often embodying? Are you embodying the sort of... And they just often aren't. There isn't a level of of mental calm or a sort of aura of protectiveness that they are emitting. It is an aura of agitation, yeah. which is they, they misunderstand. They're like, why when I am emitting this constant aura of agitation, are people not relating to me in the same way that they are relating to people who are projecting protection and endurance? Well, not even just protection, just like security. <laughs> yeah, security. Um and and women can learn to do that. And men, like like you often see this with with alpha men, not alpha men. What, what, what am I looking like? Like type A men, right? Mm -hmm. 
uh, where they will project this sort of insecurity and skittishness. And it's, it comes off immediately and it, 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 they too get insulted and degraded in the same way people of this girl boss category do mm-hmm. when they are trying to, and this is a problem. And this is where you really see this archetype is when people in this type A personality type to try to dethrone or try to replace or upstage people in the king archetype. They mm-hmm. end up looking very sort of weak Pathetic. and feckless. Yeah. yeah. Not ideal. All right. What, what would you say the next one is? So the next one that we discussed this morning that came up immediately was supplicant. So Malcolm, you want to walk us through the... Yeah, I know a lot of women who fall into this trope. And it is less a trope I see with men, but it's, it's definitely one I see with women. Although it is, I've seen it like memed on for men, right? Smithers. Yeah. Would, uh, what is it? Smithers, yeah. The the supplicant to Mr. Burns. Yeah. So, but I think so interestingly, and this is interesting, is hold on. Smithers is seen as like kind of pathetic, right? But like, Mr., um, uh, there are Pepper Potts, who is a supplicant, although like framed as sort of ironically eye rolly. Oh, God, I'm so much better put together, right? Like they sort of changed her from a supplicant to a girl boss. But anyway, Pepper or Potts. Mercy Graves with Lex Luthor. Yeah, like, but like sort of this Mercy Graves trope is more seen as like respectable, like a woman who who assists a man and devotes her career and gains her power from basically representing the man as a proxy or the powerful person. And now many supplicants we know, by the way, aren't just supplicants to male leaders. Many supplicants we know have worked with and for very powerful female leaders, politicians, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So like, I'm not saying this is a gendered thing. It's just that like, it's, but this concept of a woman assisting other people and acting as their proxy is much more respectable for women in media and tropes than for men, obviously. Yeah, which is interesting because in the other category we're talking about where men typically have an advantage with this trope, whereas in this one, women typically have an advantage when they take this pathway in life. Uh, Supplicants are not, by the way, usually focused on their partner. Uh, They usually focus on whoever the most powerful person in their circle or life is um, Mm -hmm. and dedicate themselves to that individual. And Mm -hmm. this can change throughout the course of their life. They don't have the type of true loyalty that somebody who is like a lifelong follower of their partner does, which is a different category we'll get to later. They are more just interested in who's the alpha, like the true number one big Chad in my life, in my world. And I will dedicate myself to be a soldier of that individual. It's honestly typically a pretty respected trope. And these individuals do not necessarily make bad wives. I've seen really high quality wives who follow this trope and they will... You know, they they make a ton of money for their husband. Women yeah. who follow this trope, if they are competent, typically are even higher earners than the alpha types. Well, and some are supplicants to their husbands, right? Some are the assistants to their husbands. So no, rarely, rarely, rarely. In the in the modern world, your husband would need to be extremely powerful for a supplicant to be a supplicant to her husband. Fair, because usually, if their husband is like moderately powerful, like the supplicants we know, he yeah. gives them access to even more powerful men and women that they can dedicate themselves to as supplicants. Yeah, fair. Yeah, so there is a benefit in it being outside the marriage. Well, it's not a benefit. It's just an inevitability if they're not like locked in at home. But Mm -hmm. I have not seen, of the supplicants I know, I have never seen one cheat on their partner. 
who are women. Um, and this is something that people might be surprised about. They might think the supplicant archetype is one that is likely to cheat, mm-hmm. but actually usually not because they're pretty high honor driven. They're very similar to like the male knight archetype, totally. but they're much more focused on a single individual, but they're yeah. also much more likely to be dentologists and obsessed with honor and integrity. And they look for that in the individual that they act as a supplicant of. And so that person making a move on them or something like that to them would lower that person person standing was in their eyes. And so you you don't see the same risk that I think an insecure guy might think he's dealing with if he has a supplicant spouse. Yeah, fair enough. And okay, so so would you say you have so any I, final- Yeah, like if I were a guy, I'd probably rather marry a supplicant than a girl boss. So what's the difference between a supplicant and a knight in guys? Because we, the guys can take on female tropes and women can take on male tropes. What would you say is the core differentiator here? That, yeah, that, that it, rather than, I think guys, even if they are following someone like Jordan Peterson or Elon Musk or whatever, make it about a philosophy and less about the person because they don't. I think from a pride standpoint, it's harder to be seen as serving a particular leader. That's the, I, I agree. I think that's the core difference is, yeah. is, is the male category here is serving an ideology or a community, whereas the female iteration is serving a, st- a strong leader within that community. Um, yeah, that's my thought. So you can have men in, in, in this category as well. So what would you say as the next trope? This is fun. Come on. <laughs> so you called the next trope brown shirts. And it what this describes is that, and this is a trope that's been around for a long time, but in sometimes it has many different faces and it appears in different places. But that kind of busybody social policing woman who works very hard to impose her social norms on you. So the girl boss is really just trying to have things run her way and everyone doing things her way. Whereas the brown shirt is trying to impose cultural views, values, and norms upon you in a larger group. The the classic brown shirt examples would fall into two categories for people. I say the classic one is a woke person would be Mm -hmm. a classic brown shirt, like a woke person or an Antifa member or something like that. And then the other category would be like the trad cast, whatever wife who's like trying to impose her cultural value system and hierarchy on and things that rank you within that hierarchy within people within other hierarchies and and that they're really obsessed with these internal hierarchy battles and what drives the brown shirt the reason they wake out of morning wake out of bed every morning the thing that they are most focused on is their status within a local status hierarchy that is controlled and mediated through social shaming of not following the rules or norms of a community. Mm -hmm. And why I think this is a useful category is because often people only see it in the groups of their enemies. They Mm -hmm. don't see one, how at a lower level it can be useful. Like there is useful in sort of norm setting within a community and women who see it as their job to lightly shame other people. But when you get too many brown shirts within a community, then you get virtue spirals in which a lot of women just dedicate themselves to outdoing, 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 being the most, the most, the most, and constantly looking for these small failures to meet community standards in outsiders. And that there Mm -hmm. is 
particularly any difference between the woke Antifa woman who's screaming about you not fitting X value set when you are not part of her cultural group than there is, you know, the the Sunday school mom who's screaming at somebody who's clearly, you know, not of her community, that they're not following her community standards and and, and shaming them. And, and you'll know when you interact with these people, this, uh, the, the I'm holier aspect. It's not like if you're a part of their community, they're pleasant to interact with because mm. they're constantly showing you that from the perspective art I'm actually the superior one, regardless of what they've achieved. So this is what's really interesting and what's uniquely feminine about this is it is a form of status hierarchy that they are obsessed with that is completely social and completely disconnected from any sort of real world efficacy or achievement or bettering the community. Yeah. Knight um, tries to better the community by, or even a supplicant tries to better a community by doing things that help individuals in that community or elevate the leader of the community. The brown shirts are genuinely pretty unconcerned with what's in the best interest of the community. They're concerned with how stringently the community follows the rules, how much people outside of the community are following those rules, and how they can utilize that to raise their status vis-a-vis other people. Though they believe, they believe that what they're doing is what the community needs. Of course, if they were talking to you, they would tell you that they're absolutely helping. I just find it interesting that there really isn't a male equivalent. Like someone who's imposing um, sort of like annoying norms on other people or being sort of like a Nazi about things is, is either probably going to be a knight or a... I disagree. I think there is a male equivalent. Really? Yeah. Huh. Like so, um, I see them very frequently within like the fitness community. I see them very frequently. I just see them more as knights because they're just like fanboys for like weightlifting or whatever sport they're. So consider the difference between a brown shirt and a knight, right? Like a great example here would be like, okay, you are dedicating yourself to the fitness community and you're trying to elevate the community, right? Right. Right. You would make like logical arguments on behalf of the community. Consider when we have pissed off the fitness community and they've been like, oh, Malcolm's how much can he lift how much can he you know i'm like i'm not part of your community i'm not part of your value hierarchy why are you judging me by your community's value hierarchy or the individuals who you know see our channel and they're like oh malcolm doesn't look manly in x and y way therefore i can't follow him or i can't take him these are individuals who are imposing a value hierarchy that i am not subscribing to and not competing within to me in an attempt to shame me into falling into their community and value hierarchy. And of course, as soon as I do, then they are above me in that value hierarchy because that's the hierarchy they're using to judge their value. Men do this all the time. I'm actually very confused that you are so surprised to see how often men do this. Within the red pill community, I see this all the time. Um, I guess I just saw them more as knights because I see knights as as sort of following a big philosophy, but all this is all arbitrary stuff anyway. No, it's it's not arbitrary at all. It's a really big difference. Knights are fighting to... Uh, I mean, our categories are arbitrary, just like, you know, my No, no, but the point I'm making is it's not arbitrary at all. So consider brown shirts are almost always toxic to their own communities. Knights are almost always helping their own communities. So um, let's look at the red okay. pill community and you can understand why it's actually really important to draw these distinctions and they are not arbitrary at all. A red pillar who is a knight will go out there and they will do something like build an organization that is meant to help men in legal battles for child custody and where there's unfairness in there. Or they will try to create an organization 
um, that is meant to help men dating, or they will try to, an, uh, a brown shirt will do almost the exact opposite of that. They will police community norms. Yeah. They will go around on message boards and say, this is what high status was in our community. This is what low status is within our community. Look at this individual who's not following community norms enough. Look at this individual who is following community norms enough. And they will also attack people outside their community. So if you consider even like attack comments in a different video, right? Like suppose mm -hmm you have a brown shirt versus a knight in the red pill community watching a video that is attacking that community. The knight will create a logical argument as to why that person is wrong. The brown shirt will create a, an argument that denigrates the individual they are attacking for mm. not the aesthetic value set of their community. Obviously the brown shirt is doing nothing but angering the public at their community. Like they, they achieve nothing by saying you outsider don't fit our value hierarchy. It's like, obviously I don't fit your value hierarchy. I'm not competing there. Brown shirts are always a negative. It doesn't matter if they're men or women. And I would actually say that brown shirts are one of the least gendered of all of these archetypes and, and mm -hmm. one of the most holistically negative of all of the archetypes. No, it's a, now, now I see the distinction you're making. That is helpful. Okay, next one, which is probably, should we save our favorite for last? <laughs> probably. So we'll go on to signalers. Yeah, signalers are different from brown shirts in a surprising way. So brown shirts are very interested in signaling to outsiders and using community status to signal their position within a local community hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Signalers are primarily motivated by signaling to themselves that they fit a particular narrative that they associate with either a life well-lived or a good life. So it's um, less about getting other people to do things that they think are appropriate and more about having other people see them a certain way. So it's still kind of coercive and that like it matters to them what other people think no, of them. No? It's about seeing themselves in a certain way. So they really don't care what other people think then. They no, just they sometimes to... care. Sometimes they, and this is a really interesting thing about signalers, hmm. is sometimes they really want to see themselves as the type of person that other people see a certain way, <sighs> even when other people don't see them that way. So I'll explain what I mean here. And as soon as I explain it, people will be like, oh my God, I have seen somebody do this and it's so obnoxious. Oh, no. This is the type of person who you'll get stuck in a conversation with, and it's very clear that they want you to think of them as like a wise mentor figure or something oh, like that. Yeah. But you have been ignoring them the entire conversation. You are just looking to get it over with because you're looking to raise money from them or something, or you're looking, but, but you are there patiently. Now, they actually don't care what you think. Not in a meaningful sense. They're there using you to masturbate their internal narrative as a wise person who outsiders go to for advice. They they are not actually, and they don't, like if you question, you would like, do you really care that this person actually just isn't paying attention to you? And like, I don't know, you're on a Skype with them and they're there searching through Instagram or something just for, huh? Yeah, wow, that's fascinating. So that's that's honestly a more a less damaging iteration of the signaler personality type. Mm -hmm. The more damaging iteration of the signaler personality type is, or the most damaging, I'd say, is the narcissistic mother, <laughs> because many oh, mothers. Oh God! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. These are women who, when they are interacting with their kids, 
are using those kids to masturbate a narrative that they are the perfect mother and they are not particularly interested in how the way that they are treating those kids is actually affecting those kids or mm -hmm. leading to outcomes among well, those kids. The most kids. extreme example of this is a mother who is Munchausen by proxy, who really loves seeing herself as a caretaker. And as their kid gets older and no longer needs like diapers changed, they find some way to make that child sick so that they can continue to be the caretaker. That's terrifying. I don't even know if I say that's the most extreme example. I'd say What's the most extreme example? Oh my God, that's the scariest thing in the world. Eight Passengers is a great example. What happened with that family? That was a mother who didn't actually care about being a good mother to her kids. She cared about seeing herself as a good mother to her kids. Well, she wasn't systematically poisoning them. At least there was that. Uh, well, I'm, I'm just pointing out that there are lots of different iterations of this. And yes, you have the Munchausen by proxy thing and stuff like that. But then you also have people like the eight passenger situation where it's very clear that her parenting strategies, they are not evidence-based. They are aesthetic based. They mm -hmm. are based around her aesthetics of what a good mother is like. And even when she saw it destroying the lives of her children, even when she saw her children leaving her face, pulling away from her, building up basically camps to deconvert her kids after they left the family, she still had no level of introspection. She just went deeper and deeper and deeper because for these individuals, the, the, the interesting thing about signalers is there is no consequentialism to what they're doing. They, yeah. It genuinely does not occur to them to ask <clears throat> what actual outcome will this have? They mm -hmm. are completely obsessed with the aesthetics of the way they are performing a role. And this aesthetic obsession destroys family units often. And it is really dangerous. This is where trad wives can get really dangerous because you know we support one form of trad wives that we'll talk about in a second. But trad wives who are more interested in the aesthetics of the trad wife and embodying the aesthetics of the trad wife, they are incredibly dangerous because they do not actually care about the best interests of their partner or their kids. They believe there is an aesthetic way to be a good wife. And so mm -hmm. long as they are embodying this narrative aesthetic ideal, they are a good wife, regardless of what the evidence says. And when I say evidence, regardless if their husband's unhappy, regardless if their kids are sad, regardless if their husband is spending his meager salary to uphold this fantasy that they've created for themselves, they do not care. About well, so then let's get to the important part. Let's say that you are looking at a wife and she seems like a trad wife. How, and I mean, like the problem is these people are often very good signalers to an outsider, right? Like, so how would a guy know if he is, is accidentally marrying someone who is going to be toxic in this way versus someone who's actually just going to be a devoted wife who really is, is, is who cares about outcomes, who cares about the impact of, of what they're doing? Well, I mean, I suppose talk through it with her. You know, if you're talking through, like, how do you decide between X and Y way of punishing kids? How mm -hmm. do you decide between X and Y way of raising kids? If they're just like, well, this is the X religion's way of doing things or X cultural tradition's way of doing things. They are very dangerous. They so are you're looking safe. for someone who makes evidence-based decisions. And if you can't find yeah. proof that they make evidence-based decisions and that they will change their behavior based on evidence, then you know to be afraid. Yeah, or at least some sort of logical I, chain other than this is just the way people who are good Christian wives do things, then you, 
And that's where they become really dangerous because they believe and they're like, as long as I am doing the X, the aesthetic of a good Christian wife, it doesn't matter if my husband is miserable and broke and in and, and debt. I am a good Christian wife. I am good. I am not responsible for that. And these individuals are incredibly dangerous. Uh, and I should note, so a lot of people hear this and they go, wow, you're much more negative on the female tropes than you are on the male tropes. Why is this? And I go, do you not remember that we named all of our daughters like gender neutral or masculine names? We have multiple videos where we talk about like, I do not believe modern femininity is healthy. And as we pointed out, women can embody these masculine tropes as well. And I think that women are genuinely better off embodying masculine tropes. They are not the unique sphere of the masculine. They are just often the emotionally healthier tropes and they are the tropes I think men gravitate towards more in our society today than, than they might have historically because the gender differences in, in, in men and women and women gaining a disproportionate power within our society, which they have right now, has led many of the more emotionally healthy, i.e. trying, i.e. sacrificial tropes to be uptaken by the downtrodden class, which is what you typically see in a society. And, and so they're becoming more masculine tropes. But historically, I think that these were often seen across genders in much more equal numbers and that you really didn't have, like it was understood that most of these tropes that we are now labeling as feminine were actually just seen as bad and everyone knew they were bad. But in the name of not being totally negative on women, yes. we do have, I would say, the final female trope or type that we separated out in terms of what we most commonly see, I would say is more positive than any single male trope out there. Like, because this, it what we're about to describe is kind of like the best of both knights and kings all together in one package. And this is what we will call the Viking woman. So what is the Viking woman? Or I call her the shield wife. The shield wife or the Viking woman, but doesn't necessarily have to be a wife. So what is this? And I, everyone I think has encountered women like this, both in media for sure, but also like in the real world. These are women who are <coughs> extremely devoted to their, their group. This could be an ideological group, but more commonly it is like their kids or their family or their husband or a combination thereof. So common tropes of this are like that incredibly strong willed, like somehow manages to make everything work, makes holidays amazing, single mother who's working with very little income and very few resources, but who have kids that she is just like her world is for them. It, it is the it is the actual real devoted trad wife who does everything she can, you know, to like homeschool her family, you know, with seven kids and, and to, you know, be there for her husband and to just give everyone the best education possible, you know, despite this not being an easy thing to do. Um, this is, you know, the, the member or of a larger extended family who's able to secure a really, you know, high paying job and then manages to almost single-handedly carry that family, sending remittances across borders to take care of elderly relatives in other nations, to fly out and take care of them, to do all these things while also, you know, having a husband and raising a kid and doing a really good job with it. Like, so these are incredibly strong women these are the people who I think of when when I think of amazing female leaders like Queen Elizabeth, like Catherine the Great. Like they, these are people like so Catherine the Great wasn't really that great of a mother. She wasn't really that great of a wife, but she really cared about Russia. So, you know, she was the shield woman for Russia and, and she really cared about making it a great nation. And it gave her a huge amount of resolve and confidence. What are oh, your thoughts on this? I agree with everything you said, but I would not agree that these women who you're labeling here are shield bearers because oh. the core aspect of the shield bearer woman is she is a woman who makes the, the safety and security of a small group of people 
her personal responsibility. But it is key that it is a small group of people. I don't know if the small it group of people part is key. Or it is a company. The women like Catherine the Great or Elizabeth or stuff like that, many of these women are actually just either king archetypes or signaler archetypes that happen to have a positive understanding of their role. Huh. Um, so if you look at Victoria, Victoria, right? Queen um, Victoria? Uh, yeah. Queen Victoria so, was a signaler, but I don't think she was a really great leader. She was, she was obsessed with, with seeing herself as, as, as a mother to her kingdom. And everything she did was about masturbating that particular signal, this, you know, or the virgin queen archetype. Okay, then you're referring to Queen Elizabeth. Oh, Queen Elizabeth. Queen, yeah. Queen Victoria was a signaler and she was all about propriety and having her family look a certain way and having her look a certain way. And she was incredibly in love with and devoted to her husband, but she didn't necessarily make life easier for him. Queen, I still see Queen Elizabeth II as, as being a shield wife for her nation. Yes, she saw herself as that, but I think she also really acted on it in a way that led to her amazing reputation. I think what, uh, what no, makes us signaler is about an extremely tight control of her narrative, which is I mean, because she was yeah. a signal. She, she was not, you, you admire her, so you were unwilling to see that she had a view. So this is the way uh, monarchies typically worked historically, is they raised signalers, but they tried to create a narrative archetype that was beneficial when these individuals attempted to embody it. And many monarchs fall into this signaler archetype where especially female monarchs, where they have been given a good image of what it means to be a queen. And then they do everything they can to embody that good image from a personal narrative perspective mm. of what it means to be a queen. A great example of this was the last queen, Queen Elizabeth. Complete signaler. No, man. No, she's different. I, she does. She falls outside these tropes. And, and it's because I think she's extremely autistic. She's, I don't think so. Are you kidding? The every, horse obsession? The, no, she is extremely She autistic. was autistic. I don't disagree with that. But everything she did was about filling a personal narrative of what a queen should be. And mm. it was not for consequentialist reasons. It was about it was, the rules. It was about the rules. <laughs> that is what signalers do. They follow the rules, Simone. But I don't they, think she had to see herself a certain way. In fact, in many cases... She did things to follow the rules in a way that made her look terrible and the way that she didn't want to be seen. Explain. Give an example. Policies that she made with her sister and other family members' marriage choices made her pretty unpopular. Not the way that she dealt rules, with Princess Diana. Was that not all? This, this is not good, a good argument here. Was that not all about following the rules that she thought a queen of England and a member of the royal household was supposed to uphold? I think a lot of people were telling her that this is unpopular stuff that's making her look it bad. It doesn't matter. It, it does, and this is the thing about signalers, okay? Mm -hmm. Signalers don't care about what other people really think about them. They care about what they think other people should think about them. It is very, very different from somebody who's in a popularity context, which is a brown shirt. Brown shirts care about what other people actually think about them. Maybe. Of their community and their value system. Signalers don't. They care what other people should think of them by their estimation. So I, I think that you're missing it. There. I think shield bearers are very unique in that they are always a local 
targeted community. It could be their extended family. It could be mm. their immediate family. It could be their company. If they're, you know, we're working on some small company or something like that, but it is never, or it could be their in group, but it's never larger than like 12 or 15 people because they are very, very community focused and focused on the efficacious stability of that community. What I mean is that, you know, if you look at a signaler mom and you see one of her kids really suffering, she would be like, I don't care. I'm following the rules. It's their fault that they're suffering, right? Whereas a sig, whereas a shield mom or, or wife would care. They'd yeah. be like, why is that individual suffering? What am I doing wrong? And I think that this difference shows where people like Elizabeth were signalers and not shield bearers. If her country was suffering, but she felt she was following all the rules, she'd be like, what are you doing that's wrong? I'm following the rules. I don't need to change. She would never change based on the effects it was having on other people, which is the core difference between the shield bearer and signal. Okay, Queen Elizabeth II did show intense reticence to change tack when clearly what she was doing was not working. So that's a very fair point. Anyway, I love you. I'm sorry to be so harsh on your heroes here. Oh, she's, I wouldn't say Queen Elizabeth II is a hero of mine, but I do love autistic women in leadership positions. So autistic women. Autistic women. Yeah. I mean, got to support. You're a, you're a autistic wife. Thank you. Wonderful husband. I wonder how many different armchair diagnoses we can get for you. You are not autistic. By the way, Malcolm is not autistic, not even remotely. <laughs> he does not no, show. It's it a fundamental misunderstanding of this person acts socially weird versus understanding actual psychiatric conditions when people yeah. say I'm autistic. I'm like, wow, you yeah. guys are just like dumb. Yeah. I'm sort of on the opposite spectrum. Yeah, you're more. Yeah. So like I'm I'm on the autistic spectrum. Malcolm is more on the schizoid spectrum and that he like models other people a lot, like more than the average person. But he's definitely not on the autistic Spectrum, also like in terms of like, he has no food or texture sensitivities, no sound sensitivities, no transition trouble. He doesn't, you know, like none, none of the classics are there. Yeah. Um, you but are I mean, not neurotypical though. Very easy idea, uh, very easy time when I'm talking to somebody telling what they're thinking. Yeah. Which a lot of people are surprised by because they're like, well, then why did you offend them? And I was like, because that's how I got what I needed to get out of them. No, yeah, that's the, the really, really funny thing is people assume like, oh, well, if you model other people, you know, you're going to be like, you know, a Bill Clinton or whatever, like, you know, so, like some person whisperer. And it's, here's the thing. Malcolm does not give a shit about you. And he doesn't <laughs> think very much of you. And that's why he says tone deaf stuff. It's because he does not respect you and that is so harsh and everyone has to believe and feels compelled to believe that no 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 it must be that he is autistic it must be that he doesn't yeah, understand, he me. understand me enough yeah like he no one would ever be that insulting toward me in knowingly no sorry guys that's malcolm is because you know what quite frankly and i'm so sorry but he is smarter than you <laughs> He is smarter than you. He does know better. Oh, I'm so sorry, but it's true. He's smarter. He's clever. He's thought through this before. He's researched this more than you have. And he finds your pompous pontificating to be incredibly tedious. So, of course, he's going to start looking away and then he's just going to walk away from you without saying goodbye. I'm oh, sorry. my God. You hate it when I do that sometimes. When I'll talk to somebody <laughs> and I'll tell that they're dumb and then I just start looking and like walk away in the middle of a conversation. 
Yeah, because when I go to an event, I'm I'm the most dishonest person in the entire world. I'm looking happy. I'm looking typically somewhat comfortable. I'm looking interested in the conversation. The whole time I'm in more excruciating pain than you are. You're experiencing boredom and frustration. I am like, my hand is on a stove and that stove is on full power. And I am yeah, like- but you stay engaged and you're like, you can see it in my eyes the moment somebody says something dumb or like the signals that they're <laughs> most like, care that my eyes just immediately go like start wandering around the room. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 <laughs> just yeah. looking for who I need to talk to next and standing there until Trying I to get uh, out. <laughs> oh no, I'm gonna be the worst politician ever. I'm so glad we're running you for oh office. god, this is uh, yeah, that is gonna be a really interesting challenge. Uh, what are we gonna do? with like all of the people who you don't find sufficiently smart and interesting. Maybe eventually society will be able to respect and understand that they might not be sufficiently interesting to talk to me. Well, we actually talked about this and, you know, I guess this is kind of closing in on the theme of funny tropes and silly categories, but I want there to be a trope for a politician who absolutely and openly hates his constituents, but who does such a good job at making their lives better that they just love him and they always vote him in and they're like, yeah, that's what you guy. want to be. And he's Simone. like, I hate you. Just, like, you know, I'll this just is be efficient. You're, you're like, I will be efficient and, and affable enough to be disregardable. Yeah. But what I like about you, Malcolm, is that you express on the outside what I feel on the inside often, except that also in social situations, I'm just in searing pain and I want to run away. So it's hard. So. Anyway, I love you to death, Simone. And thank you, you again for being the perfect shield wife for our family. Thank you for being the perfect king for ours. I love you.